Hello, everyone. You are listening to the latest Flyers Talk podcast presented by Great Railing. I'm Jordan Hall, and as always, I am joined by the wonderful Taryn Hatcher and the dynamic Joe Fordyce. Joe and Taryn, we have arrived at Flyers training camp. Flyers training camp is this week. The season feels closer and closer. There's going to be plenty of competition. And of course, in the sport of hockey, there are injuries as well. So we're going to get into all of it. As we found out via a report, Samuel Moran apparently has injured his knee. Um, we don't know how serious it is, but there will be an update coming out on that from the team. And then as we know, Wade Allison injured something maybe to his leg, whether it be an ankle or knee. We will find out again. We're not going to speculate, but he suffered the injury in Sunday's rookie game and he could miss some time. So BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hiring? With Indeed, your search is over. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com match. Just go to Indeed.com match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. We're going to jump right into that, and we also have a great one-on-one interview from Taryn with Morgan Frost, a prospect that's pushing for a roster spot. So a lot to get into, but let's start with Wade Allison and his injury and how that could impact training camp competition. As we know, he was vying and will be vying for a spot in the lineup, possibly in the bottom six. So Taryn, if you can think of some guys that could benefit maybe from the opening of Wade Allison's injury, uh, who would it be and, um, and, and why? Oh, um, I would, I mean, literally any other bubble forward, I really hadn't given it a whole ton of thought because it was kind of like Wade, Tanner, Cam were really the Morgan were the bubble guys that we were looking at. And I don't, I, I genuinely don't think there's a lot outside of them that are really, um, viable bubble guys just yet. I mean, maybe with some more time seeing from Lehigh, um, I would say Sam, but I know they want to put Sam back at, at defenseman this year. So I don't think that really impacts him at all. Although that story is, I can't wait. We have media day tomorrow. And I, I hope to just catch him while he's there and be like, what is going on? Because that whole story is a little interesting, but um, I don't, I don't think it really opens up the door for anyone new. If anything, I think it opens up the door a bit more for some of the other bubble guys that we were talking about. Um, we don't know how severe it is yet. I haven't really poked around about it uh, just yet because they weren't, uh, there wasn't any kind of camp or official practice yesterday in the building. So that plus with injuries, you kind of want to give guys time to um, process what's going on. It's just tough for Wade. I, I know Lappy said it, but it's so true. Like he was one of these guys who just put in a ton, a ton of work to really be kind of an attractive prospect to bring up more, long-term on a team that already has a lot of depth, a lot of experience, a lot of veterans. Um, he did the work and it was showing. He was really confident. He looked really smooth in rookie camp. Um, Lappy, I mean, was just raving about what he saw from him. Uh, he looked like a veteran amongst young guys, and I know that he is, but that, that leadership, that confidence there um, was something that you really, I really was happy to see because we didn't know a ton about him as a person um, when he was brought up last year because we didn't really get to see him, you know, away from games. Uh, so it was nice to see how confident he seemed. Uh, so you just hope it's not like too crazy of a setback and that it's, I know Lean Vino is going to talk 
later today from when we're recording the podcast. We probably would have already talked once the podcast comes out. So maybe we will know by now, but um, yeah, it just, it just sucks to be honest with you. I, I think it just, it just sucks because uh, he's gone through so many kind of injury issues before and he's battled back. He looked phenomenal and you just hope it's something that's maybe like a day-to-day week-to-week kind of thing and that he can stay in some form of shape um, or do some skill work in the meantime that doesn't set him back too far. Beauty of this season though, it's not 56 games. He's got more of a schedule to work with trying to work his way back. So maybe we will get to see him even if it's something a, a bit more difficult. But you just hope that's not the case. But I, I don't think it actually opens the I, I could be totally wrong at this point in what I've seen. I don't think it really opens the door for more players to enter that bubble. Um, I think it just maybe gives other guys a little bit more space to work with trying to break onto the big club's roster. Yeah, you really hope that it's, it's nothing uh, long-term, very serious. Uh, because, yeah, he has been through a lot. If you remember last training camp, he was on the ice for about a day and a half and then suddenly he was off it and we didn't see him again. Turns out he undergoes ankle surgery and misses like four to five weeks here. You know, he he's finishing off a really good rookie camp. He was at development camp. He's been a leader among like the younger guys. He had that great audition. He's pushing for a spot final rookie game and he injures something that could be an ankle again or a leg. It's just a shame. It's he, he dealt with it last year. Um, and set him back. And now he, you know, he could miss training camp again or parts of it. It's a shame. Jordan, you were, you were at that game, right? I was. What did you see? Yeah. So it's, it was on the far end closest to the boards that we are. So it's at the, probably the toughest angle. Hard to see. Yeah. Anything, but yeah, he's, he's just going for the puck. He's kind of racing to the puck um, with Rangers prospect, Brandon Schneider. And he kind of goes in to maybe finish a hit or, really just make a physical play along the board and he kind of gets lifted up a little bit. And then he kind of comes down and it looks like he lands awkwardly on his, on his right ankle. Um, and when, like when he kind of came down, like quickly in the air comes down, he, it looks like almost like a basketball player rolling his ankle. in. Yeah. in well, I mean, the nice, I mean, not the nice thing, but the, the thing that's maybe more, more reassuring about that is that if it's like, even if it's a high ankle sprain, like a, a more long-term ankle sprain, they normally don't take crazy long to heal. Um, and you're able to do certain skill work while you're, you know, recovering and rehabbing. It's just, it was hard to see from the videos. And it almost looked like, I remember when Morgan hurt his shoulder, he almost looked like he got lifted and it crunched kind of a thing. And it was hard to tell if it was a knee, if it was a AC joint, if it was an ankle, if it was anything, and I haven't actually heard anything since. So I wasn't um, sure because I was watching on video. So it was hard to, to tell what was happening, but oh, well, uh, interesting. Yeah, very awkward play. And what tells me is probably something maybe to his leg is he kind of crawled off the ice um, and then he needed help off the ice. And when he was getting help off the ice, he wasn't putting any pressure on his leg. So, but it really was an awkward play. Uh, Joe, go ahead. Yeah, that doesn't, I mean, that, those kind of things, the, the not putting any pressure on it, the crawling over to the bench, the, the crawling over to the bench is something you see when a guy blocks a slap shot, like from yeah. Shea Weber or something. And we all know what that is. And we just kind of hold our breath and say, let's hope there's no broken bone. This is obviously not that kind of situation. So, you know, it's, it, it looks the visual is not good on it. So, um, and it, you know, it's a shame as you guys have both alluded to Wade Allison, the, the discussion when he came up last year and kind of infused so much energy into the lineup was that if he can stay healthy, this, if he can stay healthy, that, and we're, you know, here's where we are now all of a sudden and his game, you know, he's not the tallest guy. He's an energetic guy. He plays around the net, which means, he's going to play and has to play a physical style of game. Yeah. And you hope it doesn't turn into one of these things where he's a guy who can't change his style of play because of his size and sort of everything he's developed about his game, but he also can't stay on the ice. And there's just certain guys like that. And, you know, um, so that, that's really a shame for him because I, I really found last year 
when he came up to those games he played in were the most watchable games of the year, particularly the first few games. And there was a refreshing humbleness about a guy who was producing in the lineup and also acted like he was just happy to be there. Because generally the guys that are just happy to be there aren't really lighting up the score sheet and he was doing both. So, you know, and, and I mean, just as you guys played on the podcast last week, Taryn's one-on-one with him. I mean, a joy to hear this guy talk about playing the game of hockey. Of course, he said in that interview that, um, that he thought the Flyers were going to surprise some people this year. He obviously was really looking forward to this season. So you got to hope that he doesn't have to miss a good chunk of the season um, because that would be, that, that would be significant. And we all have talked about when we were predicting the lineups that Morgan Frost's game doesn't really lend itself to fourth line play. But I would say if that has to happen at the beginning of the season, I don't know if they have a choice, but to play Morgan Frost, because I'm not sure anybody else really is ready to be in the lineup right now uh, on a consistent basis. So I really think it's if, if Wade is hurt and he's going to miss any time, I think it's probably Morgan Frost. You could say maybe Tanner Lezinski, um, but I would say Morgan would get the nod over Tanner. Um, and of course we know these guys are going to have to play if they're up here. So I don't think it's going to be a situation like the end of last year or the end of a, a, a down season where you're try this guy, try that guy. It, it has to be a, a consistent thing, particularly to start the season because you don't want it to start affecting results and consistency in the lineup in the beginning of the season, particularly with a very new group of guys that are trying to find chemistry. You don't want to be changing the lineup every single day with now here's this prospect and here's that prospect and let's try this guy on the third line. And then you don't want it to trickle up in this case, instead, you know, rather than down because it would be from the fourth line, basically up. Um, you don't want to have the whole lineup affected by this. So I think it has to be a plug and play. And I'm not sure anybody but Morgan Frost is the answer for that if it has to be to start the season. Yeah, Taryn, do you feel like this could, I don't want to say an injury benefits a player because um, I know his teammates don't want him to get hurt. But in terms of playing time and maybe opening opening the door, maybe it is Morgan Frost. Um, I could see that because, as Joe was mentioning, they, they do have guys that – that maybe were penciled in at center that can play wing. And given they have a hole at wing now, maybe, um, maybe potentially it opens up uh, the door for Morgan Frost because say a Derek Broussard moves to the wing or Scott Lawton moves to the wing. Um, Do you feel like that could be the case? Yeah, for sure. And, and I was kind of thinking before uh, just based off of what I've seen from Morgan and seeing Morgan in person the other day at camp and he does look bigger. He does look stronger. He, in our interview, which you'll get to hear here, he, he was very much, um, like, I think he very much embraces the reality that yes, most people think I have to be like a top six guy based on my skill, but that's not probably going to happen here, at least not right now. Um, and I have to get in where I can fit in kind of a thing. And, uh, it seems like he's tried to recover and tailor his game as he has recovered to, fitting more situations I'll say um we won't know until we see him out there playing against NHL guys so we'll get a better idea later at camp this week when we see him playing against NHL guys but he I mean he's we know this he said it before I think he kind of alluded to it again in my interview um and I know it from being around him talking to other reporters who talked to him um Morgan has a hard time keeping on weight I think his size was a big concern when it comes to playing fourth line against other kind of physical grinder type of guys and um, Morgan's worked very hard to put on quite a bit of muscle. Yes, he's, he's still not like the biggest Hulk in human in the world. But I think Morgan's efforts alone, maybe depending on, I don't want to put the, the uh, carriage in front of the horse here, but I think depending on how he looks against the NHL guys later this week and then throughout the season, I think Morgan's work alone might have eventually push him ahead of Wade in terms of the number one call-up guy. I, I kind of hope that for him because I, quite frankly, I think the Flyers want him to be that guy. I think they want him to be ready for the big club. 
Um, but certainly now with what's going on with Wade, I think that kind of does some of the work for him in a crappy sort of roundabout way. But I wouldn't have been surprised if later in the season, whether it's scratching Nick and Derek Broussard or moving Derek Broussard, scratching Nick, bringing up Wade, bringing up Morgan. I wouldn't have been surprised if both of them were brought up at some point And if Morgan was kind of uh, maybe the more highly touted one at that point in time, yeah. just because it sounds like he's, I, he's really done a lot of work this summer. And I, I got the feeling from our interview and from the interview we did with him at the skate zone last week, um, it was really hard on him not playing hockey for as long as he did over the past, you know, X amount of months since he heard him since he got hurt. Um, but I think when you're away for that long, you're kind of, you're not so close to the picture anymore that you can't see it, that you see it differently sort of a thing. And I think he looks at it a little different and can, you know, getting away from the minutia of the everyday and where do I fit in and this, that, and the next thing. I think maybe helped him mentally reset an approach. I don't, that was the vibe that I got. I don't want to put words in his mouth, but um, yeah, I, I do. I think it helps. I think as crappy as it is, and as much as no one wants to see Wade go down, especially because I know they're friends, I do think it helps Morgan's case, but I do think Morgan helped his case quite a bit, given what I've heard about how he worked this off season and what I've seen and what he's said to me. Yeah. So um in that way, hopefully he steps up and then the Flyers, you know, are happily surprised by the fact that they maybe have not one, but two steady call-ups between Morgan and Wade. Yeah. And I, I still think it just moves everyone up a step closer, but I don't know if it really changes their opening night lineup a ton. Uh, in reality, someone still needs to unseat Nicholas Albe Kubel. Um, it was kind of going to be him and Wade Allison competing for a final winger spot. And, uh, I really think the Flyers deep down want it, want Morgan Frost to start at Lehigh. I think they want him thinking and and pushing for a job in their lineup, but the kids played two games in like 550 plus days um, since March, 2020. So I, I just think they, they wouldn't mind him going to Lehigh, playing a huge role, being one of the guys that kind of starts the culture in Lehigh Valley under Ian LaPerriere and and, and playing in roles where he's going to get big minutes, he's going to kill penalties, he's going to play on the power play, all that, and then see where they're at. Uh, because ultimately they still have a situation where Derek Broussard and Nate Thompson can be your third and fourth line centers and your and your wingers are kind of set. Unless Nicholas Albe-Kubel or someone else gets banged up or, or really shows that they're not ready. So I think it makes everyone just a little bit closer. The Lena Sandines, the Connor Bunnemans, the, uh, the Tenor Lazinskis, the Jackson Cates, they're all closer, but I don't know if it really changes their lineup a ton. And I, and I do feel bad because I feel like we, uh, and it's fair based off last year, to be honest, as much as I hate to say it, but uh, I feel like we've, we've all in some of these situations for the hype and the excitement of these young guys written off that Nico Bell is just like not going to be good. He could play very well. He did have stretches of the year before where he played very well. And the Flyers will be better off if he plays well, because when he's playing well, he does add something to the team. He adds quite a layer of physicality, which I kind of think they need. But um, I, I don't mean to sound like we are writing off Nick because I have not seen anything from Nick yet. And while he did have a bad year last year, let's be realistic only Joel Farabee and for a portion of the season, James Van Reeves like had a good year last year. So it, I don't mean to just toss Nick aside. Nick could still like own this position and, and contribute for this team. And, and Jordan, I should point out too, and we saw this last year that if, if they're looking for a guy to, to just fill a spot here and there, rather than bring up one of these big prospects, Connor Bunneman has more games played in the NHL than any of these guys. I'm not talking about Obey Kubel, but, sure. you know, and, and we, we heard last year, Elaine Vigneault talked highly about Connor Bunneman a lot yeah. after games. I mean, we, I remember him after games flat out saying that Bunny's line was the only line that played well. Yeah. And, you know, they were, they were playing more minutes than the top six at the end of certain games because AV was so, you know, uh, I guess, perplexed with how his top, uh, you know, top two lines were playing. So 
I wouldn't put that past him either because, you know, he clearly the coach likes Connor Bonneman and he's played in plenty of games and he can come in and not, you know, he's not going to come in and score a hat trick, but he's also not going to come in and cost you and appear like he doesn't belong there, which I don't know that you can make that guarantee with some of the other prospects that have such limited experience. So the Bonneman factor, I think, is, is a real one as well. So, Joe, this is interesting, and Jordan can attest to this, because I brought this up the other day at rookie camp. I said, I feel like it's very bizarre we've all gotten amnesia when it comes to Connor Bunneman, because we're all talking about Cam York, Blazinski, Wade Allison, uh, th- those three really being it. Morgan Frost, sorry. Uh, how can I agree about Morgan? Those four really being it. And meanwhile, Connor Bunneman's got the most call-up experience out of all of them. And I said, and I, I very vividly remember doing quite a few post games last year where the only positive comment that came out of AV's mouth after a less than stellar performance from the Flyers was about Connor Bunneman, his effort, and the way his line played. And I got absolutely lambasted in the media room for even saying it. They, but he petered off at the end of the year and this, that, and the next thing and yada, yada, blah, 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 and whatever. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, I don't know if any of you actually listened to the press conferences we were a part of, but Elaine Vigno likes Connor Bunneman's efforts when he plays well, which goes for everyone, I think it's fair to say. But I would not be shocked if we get to camp and all of a sudden Connor Bunneman is playing with some of the NHL guys and these scrimmages and so on and so forth, because the devil you know is better than the one you don't sometimes. And I think Elaine Vino feels like he knows what he gets from Connor Bunneman. And when he sees Bunny going bad, he knows what that looks like as well. So uh, thank you for saying that because I got looked at like I had 17 heads and I was just like, I didn't, I didn't make this up. I didn't make up Bunneman love in my head. I know I did not. So I appreciate that Joe, because yes, I will say who was say- in the media room, but some of the, some of the older gentlemen who maybe their memory is not quite as vivid as mine didn't recall that at all. <laughs> and I was like, what is going on? Well, I would say, I, I would say if you were, if you were to take a, a stat sheet and tally up every player from last year's team and their personal name mentions by Elaine Vigneault, Connor Bunneman's in the, probably the top eight on the team yeah. of anybody that played last year. And what I think it is, is I, I, I think people get wrapped up in, in with Connor Bonneman. I think the thing is the ceiling with him is down here. The ceiling with these other guys is way up here, but they're nowhere close to getting to the ceiling yet. So, yeah. I, and I think that's what AV likes. He knows that it's an even feel player and he's not a player that's going to be pushing anybody in the top six, but he's also not a player that's going to play his way out of the lineup by making bad decisions or things like that. He just comes in, he plays his solid nine or 10 minutes as a fourth line player, and he can rely on him to be there and fill that time and be a solid player. And, you know, those, I don't think any of those other players that we're talking about, the Frosts, the Lasinskis, the, you know, those guys are not players that are just in there to, play nine or 10 minutes. Those need to be more impact players, which is why I said their ceiling's higher, but Connor Bunnerman can already get to his ceiling. And I'm not sure that players with two games experience in the last two years or four games experience I don't know that they can get to Connor Bunnerman's ceiling yet while they're, they should far surpass it in their future. That time isn't right now. And I think that's the thing with Connor Bunnerman and you know, you can't – why is Nate Thompson on this team? Nate Thompson's not on this team to score goals. He's on this team because he has plenty of game experience and he doesn't do things to hurt teams. And he can just get plugged into a fourth line and you kind of just it, – it's, it's almost like when you have, uh, you know – He's a Toyota a, Camry. Uh, He's a Toyota right. Camry. It's not the yeah, sexiest car in the streets, but they run forever. They're good on gas. They don't have problems. You're not always putting them in the shop. Some of these guys are like a Jag. You know, Jaguars look nice. 
Some of them are sharp looking cars, but they're not super efficient on gas and they break down sometimes. That's, and that's, you, so you need some Toyota Camrys on your team. I had a Toyota Camry from 1994 until 2014. Nate Thompson is a Toyota Camry that never breaks down, drives well in the city on the open highway. And, you know, it doesn't, no one's driving by my 1994 Toyota Camry going, wow, that, that thing, what I would do for that car. No, but you know what? I wouldn't trade that car for the world. Until I moved to Hawaii and had to sell it, I would have kept it till a wheel literally fell off of the car and the car had no damage. They just put the wheel back on the car. This is a true story. And then I drove it all away and there was no damage to the car. Those people, you cannot beat that type of player. They are so, so critical to building a good team. You can't just have a bunch of like Ferraris and Lambos all over the place. It doesn't work. I think sometimes it's Toronto's problem, but that's neither here nor there. So, you need to go so, to cameras. <laughs> so Jordan and Taryn, I'm going to make a bull, a bull Durham comparison here. So maybe Connor Bonneman is like Crash Davis in, in Bull Durham. Crash Davis is a triple A player. He's a career minor leaguer that can be called up and relied on at certain times. Whereas when Tim Robbins' character comes out, he, me, he's supposed to be the big time hotshot minor league player that is brought to Durham to study under Crash Davis. And he, he thinks he's already arrived and he thinks he's at his peak. Maybe some of these, got, these guys like Frost and Wazinski, maybe they're more like me. I'm not talking about their attitude, but maybe they're more like him in that they have the higher ceiling but sometimes you need a crash Davis to just come in there and settle things down. And I think in that this scenario, uh, Connor Bonneman might be that. Sorry, Jordan. I might have, might have been talking over your head with the pop culture reference. Yeah. But, you know, <laughs> I know. I've, I've never seen Bull Durham either, actually. Okay. Well, Crash yeah, Davis I, is Kevin Costner's character. There we go. Yeah, I've seen part, parts of Bull Durham. I can't say I've seen it in full, but I know the can movie. We just, can we just hijack the rest of the podcast and say what cars we think the players would be? Yeah. <laughs> Like Sean Couture would be like a Humvee, like something that's just never going to break down. <laughs> like we'll do I'm trying to think. Okay, we're not going to do this. We're not going to do this. Yeah. No, we got bull Durham analogies. We got car analogies. We got it all here. But yes, Connor Bunnerman, uh, I think a lot of people forget he played games in the bubble. He played games in playoffs um, because he was trusted that much and the team likes him that much. So absolutely not a guy to forget. And those were some of the games where, where AV praised his play. Those yep. playoff games in Toronto. Indeed. We, we heard it after a lot of those games, him praising his play. Flyers Talk is brought to you by Great Railing. Stop in the Great Railing for the highest quality and lowest prices for all your railing, decking, and fencing needs. Well, this really is a perfect time to get into Taryn's one-on-one, with, uh, one-on-one interview with Morgan Frost, um, a guy that uh, had a very good development camp, very good rookie camp, young prospect that still has tons of upside, and uh, we're going to hear all about it in Taryn's interview right now. All right, Morgan, thank you so much for joining us. We have got to talk to you for a while, so we'll do a little bit of catch up and then a little bit of a look ahead to the future if you're okay with that. We didn't get to talk to you a lot as you were coming back from the shoulder injury last February because I know you weren't always around as you were dealing with some of the the rehab from that. Can you kind of take us through um, just an overview of the timeline of the injury and all of the surgery rehab process that came after it? Yeah, so um, after the injury, I think it was like about a week and a half or two weeks after it happened, uh, I flew to Colorado, spent a week there, got the surgery, um, spent a couple days right after the surgery that were tough there. And then, um, yeah, I think it was like a week and then I came back and and pretty much just rehabbed for uh, like three or four months, but I stayed until the end of the season and um you know, I had, I think I had two other trips during that time back to Colorado just to see the surgeon and get everything checked up again, just quick two or three day trips. Um, and then, yeah, I was feeling pretty good. I started skating uh, the last month of the season, um, started picking up, picking up each week. And then, um, yeah, I was feeling pretty good going back home and then just worked out all summer and, and made sure I took care of it before my workouts or before my skates. And, um, kind of just build the strength back up and feels good now. Yeah. Does it feel, when did you start to feel hundred percent? Are you there now? When did you really feel like 
okay, I'm not dealing with an injury anymore as much as I'm dealing with getting back into shape and game speed and everything else that comes with it? Uh, I would say probably like the last month and a half, two months. I think every day it just kind of gets a little bit better. And, um, you know, I, I got my mobility back and it felt good. Uh, I think at that point it was more about strengthening it because it was pretty weak from not doing very much. Um, and yeah, I just kept doing that and uh, kept ramping up. And now it feels, uh, you know, we'll go 98%, <laughs> very close to 100, but it's there good. Go. It doesn't bother me really anymore on the ice or doing uh, activity or anything. So it's good. That's good to hear. Uh, I, I know we were talking about this off camera. You mentioned you're trying to get your shoulders stronger. You actually physically look bigger through at least a Zoom call. It's kind of hard to tell. Have you been able to like put on strength and weight in the process of trying to rehab from the shoulder? Where were you at before? Where would you say you're at now? Yeah, um, I'm, I'm definitely a little bit heavier. I think, uh, you know, my goal was to get to 190 and uh, I came here and did that. And now it's about trying to keep up the weight with all the activity that we're doing, which is never the easiest thing, but, um, you know, just trying to eat as much as I can and drink as many protein shakes, but, uh, yeah, I, I worked hard and I think I got a little bigger. I think, um, you know, I've been here for a, a little while now and I know what it takes to play in the NHL and I definitely need to be stronger and, and harder on pucks. So, um, yeah, that was the goal. And, uh, I think I did that, a pretty good job of that this summer. Everyone who put on the quarantine 15 and still hasn't lost it is screaming at their screen. Yeah. <laughs> that answer. Yeah. Uh, but it's interesting. A lot of what I read, a lot of what I saw about you in development camp, the expectation kind of was that you're probably realistically too good to be there. And it seems like from everyone's account, that's kind of how you played it. Like I, you have this whole thing figured out at this point and mastered that level of the game. I wonder where has your where do you feel like your comfortability is at with development camp? Obviously it's not your first one. And there were other development camps in the past where the expectations for you have always been high, given your skill set and just, you know, the, the certain aspects of your game that are so impressive. Where do you feel like you're at now versus development camps in the past? Uh, I, I think, you know, very far ahead. I think um, it's just a lot easier when you come in and you're comfortable with the staff and um, you know, the guys and, uh, you know, the coaches and trainers and everyone, it's, it makes it a lot easier. And, um, you know, it, it's, it's a lot better coming down here and I feel way more comfortable. So I think that translates to better performance on the ice. I mean, um, I think, you know, probably my first two years here is definitely a little bit nervous coming in for development camp. And, uh, you know, now that I've been to my, my fair share of, of development camps, I feel pretty comfortable and, um, you know, not really getting nervous coming into the development camps is more just about getting better and, um, you know, trying to show, you know, what I can do and, and that I put in the work over the summer. Just for a little context, where did you do your off-season training this year and who was it with, just for some background information? Uh, I did it in Aurora, Ontario, my hometown. Uh, I've been with the same trainer for the last four or five years. Um, it's called JMP Performance. It's a little, little more low-key than uh, some of the other uh, big ones, but um, I train every morning with Sean Walker, who plays on the Kings, and, um, you know, he's a bit older than me, and he works really hard, so, uh, you know, he's a good role model for me to follow every morning, and, um, yeah, just stayed, stayed local. What's the mindset for you now as we turn towards camp camp and not development camp, especially given, and I was just talking to Wade about this, it's interesting for a player like you. I feel like a ton of people believe in you, want to see you up with the big club, you know, consistently throughout the whole year kind of thing, see what you can do and come to kind of develop your potential to its max ability. Um, but at the same time, the offseason, you're watching Chuck make all kinds of moves that add to the depth chart and lots of forwards being kind of traded around and acquired and picked up and so on and so forth. What's the, what's the mental approach for you in that situation? Given the fact that even the conversation when it comes to you is often that you're a you're a top six kind of player, so it's kind of hard because you have to jump from getting ice time to it's probably a top six kind of guy. On top of that, um, you know, honestly, I think for me, uh, it sounds pretty cliche, but I'm kind of just trying to think about my own my own thing. I mean, it was really tough not playing last year, um, and you know, you can do as much as you you, know, you can in the summer to emulate 
you know, camps and whatever, but it's never really the same until you actually get back here and, um, you know, you're going up against a bunch of other guys that are trying to make the NHL. And, um, you know, so I'm just really focused on myself. I mean, there's always going to be people moving in and out of the organization and, um, you know, we'll see what happens. But I, I think for me, the big thing is just to get my confidence back up and, uh, you know, try and have a similar camp, if not better, to the one that I had last year where I made the team. And, um, you know, if not, <clears throat> if not, uh, you know, whatever, I'll, I'll keep working. And, um, you know, I, I really want to be on this team. So, um, you know, what, whatever it takes, I'll, I'm willing to do. And, um, yeah, we'll see how camp goes up, how, how it goes. Was last year, given that it was from February until whenever you were able to really skate again, was that the longest time that you've gone without playing hockey? I would assume since you were like, what, like five or something since you were a small yeah. kid? By far. Yeah. I mean, to be honest with you, that was my first real true injury. Um, I've never really missed probably more than a game with anything, um, you know, just little stuff. But um, yeah, it was it was definitely tough. It was it was very different. Like I said, I've never really been in that situation. I've never had surgery. I've never had to miss months or I mean, even though it was a shortened season, the full season. Um, so it was it was definitely a mental battle. And uh, you know, I, I think the summer was good for me, kind of just to refresh my mind and get away from things. And, um, you know, now that I'm back, I, I feel confident. I feel good. So. All right. Well, Morgan, I've got construction going on and a bell dinging at, at Independence Hall behind me. So I will wrap up this interview. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us. I appreciate you giving us your time and, and good luck in camp, Morgan. We're all pulling for you. Thanks, man. Thank you. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Taryn Hatcher and Morgan Frost, great interview. Loved hearing about Morgan Frost's outlook for training camp and this season. Only 22 years old and really hasn't played a full season yet at the pro level. Uh, sometimes we forget about what a lot of these prospects have been through with COVID-19 and all the challenges uh, the, the virus has presented to these young prospects. Taryn, what did you take away from your interview with Morgan? Um, I, I know I kind of touched on it before, but I think the – the experience of stepping away from the game, how that's been for him. Um, obviously the emphasis for him on size. I think he does want to, I, I genuinely got the feeling from him and talking to people around the state zone, the days I was at rookie camp, um, that he wants to be able to play wherever the flyers can play him. And I think before he knew that maybe his size and his skill set limited him into where he fit in if he jumped in. I don't think he wants people to look at him as a guy who, okay, he's really skilled, so he has to play top six, and he's not physical or big enough to play against grinder-type players. I don't think he wants that label on him anymore, and I think he made a conscious effort to try to prepare to be a little bit more versatile. Um, I also think he's just – I mean, to be honest with you, a lot of these kids were kids – until recently uh, when it came to joining this team. I think he's more um, adult-like, both in his mind. He's always been a professional, but his mindset seems a little bit more adult-like. Physically, he looks more like an adult now. Because um, I, I very, I, I mean, I've said this before and I'll say it again. And I, I know sometimes people are like, oh, it sounds weird when you talk about that stuff. But I interviewed him in, in uh, Carolina, I think before his second NHL game. Um, and I was kind of shocked by when I stood next to him, how much he seemed like 
he was still a teenager, just in the way that he was built. And then you look at some of the guys on that Carolina team that he's going up against and you're like, oh my God, he's going to get assaulted out there. Like, it just doesn't feel right. He looks now like he can compete with those players, um, regardless of where in the lineup he falls. Yeah. Uh, and I also, I just, I do think that, um, and I know this on a different level from my own experiences, it, it wasn't until I got injured playing soccer and I had to take months and months and months away that I felt like I could watch a game in a different way. And it, every game that you watch is more of like a learning lesson for, all right, when I come back, I want to do things this way or that, or the next thing. Cause when you're in it, it's hard to see it. Uh, and I think it was a real difficult situation for him to be, um, you know, injured and sidelined for, as he said in that interview, for the longest period of time since he started playing hockey as a little, little kid. But I think getting away from it helps you see a little better sometimes. So I, I hope that for him, <clears throat> that's the case in terms of, again, when you're, when you're in the middle of it all, how do you really see what's going on around you? Sometimes you kind of got to take that bird's eye view and get away from it. I, I think he did. So that's what I got from it, to be honest with you. Danny looks bigger. Yeah, <laughs> that's and that's helpful in hockey. Let's be real. Yeah, no, he really does. He looks more like a man. He looks more like a pro. And I think he wanted to, uh, like you said, Taryn, and like he has said. Um, and yeah, I think time away can can offer a good time for self-reflection. And I think uh, you could tell Morgan got a lot of that uh, and is really excited for camp. But let's shift gears a little bit and let's look at the at the other injury and, let, and let's look at the back end. Samuel Moran, it appears like he may have a knee injury. We don't know the severity or the significance of it. Uh, we're going to wait until we hear from Elaine Vigneault and the Flyers on that. But, but if Samuel Moran can't, start camp and uh, can't be ready for the regular season. Uh, what does it do for others? Joe, I'll start with you. Um, it looks like Samuel Man Moran may have been the seventh guy in the depth chart. Uh, so who, who maybe uh, has the door opened a bit uh, with this injury? Well, first off, I I'll say this. Um, a guy with Sam's history, uh, you never want to he hear knee injury. Um, yeah. And, you know, we talked about this on here before about Sam's attitude and just how great of a guy he is um, and just, you know, the resiliency of him coming back from all these injuries. So we really hope that it's not another serious knee injury because he has dealt with many of them. But as we know, guys that are his size, um, I'll say injuries to the back and lower extremities, generally, you know, they don't just disappear for guys his size. I mean, you see it in basketball all the time. Um, so again, we hope the best for Sam. Uh, I'll say this, if it's not Sam, I, I think the obvious answer here is Cam York. Um, the only thing I'll say about Cam York is he's another guy that is a big time prospect for them and they're going to want him to play. And if he's the seventh defenseman, I'm not sure he's going to play that much because I feel like, as we've talked about on previous podcasts here, that six the, the the six man defenseman you know it seems pretty set in stone um you know we know we know about ryan ellis we know about Provorov and sanaheim and you know i don't think obviously keith yandel has the the iron man streak going so one will tell you he's going to play every game i mean there's not a lot of room to just get into the lineup every once in a while so i would say that would give them some pause when it comes to Cam York, but I think he's the obvious answer. Um, unless you're looking for like a um, sort of a, a stopgap kind of guy, a guy that might be needed, but is generally okay watching a lot of games from the press box. And I don't think that's where they want Cam York. No, they want him to play games. He had a Highly successful season last year, but it was a whirlwind. He played for four different teams, obviously. Michigan, U.S. at the World Juniors. He played for the Phantoms and then the Flyers. Um, having him in a situation where it's a little more steady and consistent and playing games is probably great for him. But I will say, uh, Joe, as you mentioned, um, if an injury happens to the guys that we think are going to be in their six, Samuel Moran maybe, maybe was the next man up. Now it just puts Cam York maybe one step closer to getting in the lineup if an injury hits the Flyers. Uh, but they do have some veteran guys that they did sign in the offseason, uh, a little older, more pro experience that maybe could be your good seventh man. Like you said, Joe, 
no, no problem having them watch games. Whereas Cam York, you want playing. Taryn, what right, and and I would just say, if I could just say one more thing, um, I, when you have you have guys like Justin Braun and Keith, I mean Keith Yandel obviously has shown that he's durable, but you have guys like Justin Braun and, and veteran players. Nagging injuries happen, so I would say if you have the opportunity, and obviously we're not wishing this to happen, where where somebody's going to miss two weeks or three weeks, and you can play Cam York in. I don't know, eight games, seven or eight games, by all means, I would take the opportunity to play him in the seven or eight games. It's just the injuries where a guy is out for this game or he might be out for that game. Those are, I don't think those are the situations where you want to bring Cam York up because you got to think too, he's a young guy with a lot of expectations. You don't want to start playing with his emotions, come out and play a great game in the NHL and immediately take the bus back to Lehigh. I don't think that's healthy for a guy that you are going to be relying on in the future. So you don't want to do all this back and forth. So I would say if you have the opportunity to play consistent, you know, couple weeks, take it. But if it's a game, maybe two games, I would say look elsewhere. Can we unbury the lead with the Sam Rand story though? Because this whole, this is why I was laughing a little bit when we started talking about it. If you saw on YouTube, this has become like one of the more bizarre stories to come out of camp because First, and I'm not going to call anybody out on this because I'm sure somebody did get from like some kind of source that just got it wrong, that Sam Moran had some traumatic knee injury. And, you know, all, I think all of us were just like, because we all really like, like everyone, I can speak for everyone in the media room. We all really like Sam. He is a really nice guy, genuinely works very hard and deserves a good career. There's a reason why we all pull for Sam when you hear these things. And I think that's why there was such a immediate, like, outpouring of compassion about there being a potential career ending injury on Sam's front. And then it comes out. Let me see what time it came out last night. Then Riley Cote pushes out yesterday at like 1230 in the afternoon, uh, a text message exchange that he had with Sam saying, you know, Hey, I'm really sorry if there's anything I can do, you know, I really feel for you. And Sam goes, Oh, I'm all good. I don't know who tweet that got this information. My knee got bang up a little, but nothing major. Everyone been texting me. Ha 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 ha. So I, I'm hoping, I'm hoping that Sam's okay. Um, because the, the kid does deserve, even if it doesn't make sense here, I hope that this leads as like an audition to somewhere else where he does have an NHL career. It means so much to him, but um, I, I do think the, the lead with this story kind of was like the bizarreness of it all because we got Riley, Riley Cote out here breaking Sam Moran knee news. Um, but I do think for everybody who's like jumping down different reporters throats about them tweeting about it instantly, just know the only reason why there was such a strong reaction so early to the news. I do think it's because everyone wants Sam to do well. And it was a little bit gutting when, like when I saw the news, I didn't tweet anything about it first. I was texting a few people being like, what's going on. And they were like, just hold off on saying anything, you know, whatever. And so I was like, okay, either it's really bad. And that's why they don't want me to say anything, or it's really not what it seems, but they don't want to dispel it just yet till they know what it is. I couldn't really figure out. It, don't be mean to people on Twitter about breaking that news because I think it was just most people wanting Sam to do well and feeling bad about it. But no, I was glad when I saw that text message exchange where Sam put hot like 85 ha-has about I'm okay. My knee just got a little bit tweaked. You got to like the nice uh, fake news. Uh, I know. I was like. Riley Cote as well. <laughs> yeah. But uh I, I do. Yeah. I was a little bit, I still don't know anything again. AV's talking after we get done the podcast, which means by the time the podcast comes out, he probably will have already spoke. Hopefully he addresses it and everybody knows what's going on and it's nothing serious, but I think that's why folks. So just keep things. I've just gotten, I've just gotten to the bottom of uh, who reported that originally the devastating injury part. Yeah. But uh, I'll uh, keep it to myself. No, I, I mean, I know, but it's, it's not, you know, well, it's I, whatever. It's just, yeah, I mean, we it hope is. Sam's okay at the end of the day. I think that's what this all, is all about. We hope Sam's all right. And I think like everyone said, um, <clears throat> you know, 
Justin Braun's an older guy. At some point, he might just need maintenance days and, and rest. And I think it's going to take those situations for Cam. And then probably Sam is next up to uh, eat up some of that time. But again, that's all predicated on the idea that Sam's I. So we'll see. Yeah, long story short, there does appear to be some type of injury to Samuel Moran and that he could miss the start of training camp. Um, it's not like nothing happened to him. Um, we just don't know how severe it is or how significant. And as Taryn and Joe mentioned, yeah, I was personally thrilled to see Riley Cote's tweet because uh, it was good just to see Sam saying, hey, it's not as serious because, yeah, let's be real. The guys had two 20 ACLs uh, since the summer of 2018. Another injury to his knee would have been, um, if it was a serious one, uh, it would have been, yeah, really difficult to stomach and um, would have been tough for Samuel Moran. So uh, we hope he's okay. Um, the humans in us definitely hope he's okay because he's a great guy, works hard. Uh, and we wanted to see him be uh, competing for the lineup. Uh, so let's hope it's something serious. We will find out soon, like Terrence said. Um, but yeah, there will be guys like Cam York and Igor Zamula and other guys, um, Linus Hogberg, plenty of guys that, uh, that could be headed to Lehigh Valley that will be uh, chomping at the bit and pushing uh, if, they, if there is an absence within the Flyers depth chart. Uh, but we will hit on all of it uh, as training camp starts this week, and uh, we're excited for it. We'll be tackling it all and bringing it to you Flyers fans. But Taryn Hatcher and Joe Fordyce, thank you so much as always. Great chatting with you. A big thank you to Ben Berry, our podcast guru. And also Flyers fans, as always, thank you for listening to the latest Flyers Talk podcast presented by Great Railing. Wherever you get your podcast, please rate and listen, and we cannot wait to talk to you next time.